Welcome to Frontline Voices, a podcast by the Natural Resources Council of Maine. I'm Carly Peruccio, and it's been pretty busy in Augusta. After pulling an all-nighter, legislators concluded Maine's 129th legislative session on Thursday, June 20th, pretty much on schedule. It's very exciting and refreshing to be able to report to you that the environment was a big winner of the session. This episode is my conversation with NRCM's advocacy director, Pete Didesheim. You'll hear Pete talk about important and, in some cases, landmark bills that have been signed into law by Governor Janet Mills. These bills will help to reduce carbon emissions, support renewable energy development, maintain clean waters, reduce plastic pollution, and so many more. So keep listening for the most optimistic legislative debrief you've probably heard from us in a very long time. Here's my conversation with Pete. The 129th legislative session has come to an end. So this is a good time then to reflect on this session. Could you share some of your overall impressions of how this one went? The environment was a big winner in this session. Without question, this was the most positive legislative session on environmental policy in 20 years. I've been here at NRCM for 23 years, so it's actually the most positive session in my tenure here. We passed literally dozens of really good bills. I think it's really interesting that you're saying that comparatively, not just with the LePage administration, but prior administrations, this is a special case. And maybe it's because so little was done in a positive way over the last eight years that lawmakers on both sides of the aisle were ready to move forward. And they really did. And there were well over 200 bills that almost entirely were forward-moving bills on the environment, clean energy, and climate introduced this session. We were tracking those, and dozens of good bills made it across the finish line, which is awesome. Let's talk about some of those then. Maybe we should start with solar. Finally, finally, Maine is moving in the right direction. Right at the end of the legislative session, a really big solar bill passed. It's going to help completely change the landscape on solar and access to solar here in the state of Maine, as I think most people who have been paying attention realize. Our previous governor was hostile to solar and defeated multiple solar bills through his vetoes, and then the legislature was unable to get two-thirds majorities to override those vetoes. So we had no forward motion. In fact, we had backwards motion on solar. But this particular solar bill, introduced by Senator Dana Dow, a Republican in leadership in the Senate, is a fantastic bill. One important component of it is it lifts the arbitrary cap on the number of people who can participate in a community solar project. It had been at nine. nine. It lifts it completely. And now there's no upper limit. And so hundreds of ratepayers, customers, can join a community solar project. And this is going to open Maine up to a new class of solar energy businesses that are going to come in because we now have a welcome sign for solar developers to come in. And we're going to see some really exciting projects. This bill alone is projected to create 500 new jobs just from the community solar initiative as part of it. But the bill also creates incentives for large businesses also to have increased access to solar. So that's that's just a super piece of legislation. This has been a decades-long slog. A slog, okay. <laughs> oh, it's been a roller coaster, and some people call it a solar coaster because, uh, <laughs> because there's been such ups and downs. We pass these great bills, and then they get vetoed, and we don't really pass them. And then another good bill comes along, and it gets vetoed, and then it doesn't make it across the finish line. So that has happened for several years in a row. And this time we've got a winning bill that we think is going to change the landscape 
so that Maine will get uh, improved access, including for schools, municipalities, low-income Mainers, homeowners, and also large projects. So it's it's going to help Maine catch up to some of our neighbors in terms of jobs and the amount of solar that we have deployed in the state. Right, and I, I heard that Maine is ranked last place in New England in terms of solar energy development, so this is a really good turning point. And just thinking broadly about renewables in Maine, did any other legislation pass that is worth noting? Another really important clean energy bill that passed this session is a renewable portfolio standard bill that is going to increase the amount of clean energy required in the product, electricity product that people purchase from its current amount of 40% to 80% by 2030. And that's going to result in a 1,000 or more megawatts of new renewable energy in New England, probably 700 megawatts of solar and wind here, mostly solar in the state of Maine. And that's going to generate a lot of additional jobs as well. This is really big and will be a driver for more clean energy. And for anyone who's listened to the podcast before, they will have heard Governor Janet Mills speak in support of her climate bill. That was episode 17. Can you tell me more about what happened there? Did it pass? And what's the significance? So the governor's climate bill did pass. It passed out of committee with a unanimous vote. Bipartisan. Bipartisan unanimous vote. It went through both the House and Senate unanimously and it will be signed into law next week. This is the most important climate bill ever passed in the state of Maine. It establishes a requirement that we reduce our carbon emissions by 80% by 2050, and it also has a target of 45% reductions by 2030. That's from a baseline of 1990 emission levels. And it directs the DEP to develop the rules that ensure that we meet these goals, and it creates a new Maine Climate Council in law And that Climate Council is going to be a forum where we develop a new climate action plan and where the state as a whole, both state government, the uh, universities, nonprofit, business community, main people at large, collectively develop our strategy moving forward that will help us ensure that we uh, meet this target of drastic reduction in carbon emissions as we move towards a society that is not damaging the planet through our greenhouse gas emissions. It's a really big deal. And it says a lot that this achieved bipartisan support. Did that happen in the votes as well in the legislature? Yes, it's pretty amazing that As far as I can tell from the many public hearings that I was involved with and watching the floor debates, it seems that climate denialism has left the building. And that's a big deal. I did not hear any skeptics from any corners of the state house standing up and claiming that climate change is not happening. And that's a significant shift. There are some outstanding Republican leaders, particularly in the Senate right now, who are deeply concerned about the impact of of climate change on the state. And they are helping move the legislature in a very important way towards action. As well, the governor has done a really good job of establishing that this is a priority. We're on the move now. Uh, we're not just going to study this. We're on the move. That's such a shift, but a really welcome one. Of course. And necessary. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'd like to talk about some other victories. As many people know, NRCM is focusing on lots of different types of bills. Maine has set nationwide precedents this session concerning plastic pollution. Could you tell us a bit more? Yes. So there's two really big bills that passed this session that we're very pleased were signed into law. 
we became the first state in the nation to ban disposable foam food containers. This is polystyrene foam containers. And they need to be phased out by January 1st, 2021. Interestingly, Maine state government banned the use of these in 1990. And the town of Freeport banned this type of polystyrene foam packaging also in 1990. But we haven't done anything at the state level, although they're at the town level, 15 main towns in recent years have banned these uh, forms of packaging. And this type of packaging, this foam packaging, you can't recycle it. And it contaminates the recycling stream of, of materials that then makes it more costly for municipalities to deal with their waste. And when it gets out in the environment, it breaks up and it just contributes to the plastic pollution problem. The other big bill that's exciting is the one that is going to ban single-use plastic shopping bags statewide. Here again, many towns across the state have been adopting these ordinances dealing with single-use plastic bags. Legislation like this has come forward at the state house and been defeated several times previously, but this year was different. NRCM worked with the Maine Grocers Association and the Maine Retail Association before the legislative session started to come up with a compromise bill that we could all get on board with. And interestingly, the grocers and the retailers, they were all in. They're at a point where the town-by-town ordinances are not the same and they wanted to have uniformity, consistency across the state. And they realized that their members were ready for a statewide ban on plastic bags. This bill will go into effect Earth Day 2020. This bill also allows them to place a minimum five-cent fee on recycled paper bags. So the incentive from this, this legislation really is bring your reusable bag and use those whenever you're shopping because we really don't need to be using all these plastic bags that become part of our pollution stream. And remarkably, across the globe, something like a million plastic shopping bags are distributed every minute, and a very small percentage of those are recycled in any way. So that's a lot of plastic pollution that's just created. Here in New England, uh, Vermont enacted a plastic bag ban about the same time we did, and Connecticut and Oregon are both also on track to adopt similar bills. So that's good. There's starting to be a lot of states who are wrestling with this and getting it done, which is great. Uh, Vermont and Maine were kind of jockeying to see who would become the third state in the country to ban plastics. Yeah, I think it maybe happened on the same day. It's California, New York State, and Then Hawaii has adopted it on a county-by-county basis, not a statewide, but all the counties have it. So whether you count Hawaii, and you probably should, as the third state, (laughs) um, we're the fourth, and Vermont was hours behind us. Okay, so top five. We'll take it. We're happy for Vermont, too, of course. Let's talk about landmark legislation concerning river and water quality in Maine. Perhaps we should talk about the river reclassification bill, hugely significant. Yes, so we're really pleased that the legislature unanimously adopted a river reclassification bill that increases the legal protections for more than 400 miles of rivers and streams, including some connected to the Penobscot and upper reaches of the Penobscot River. This is something that should have been happening every three years, but has not happened in a decade. And This ensures that all of those stretches of rivers and streams, the protections are locked into place 
and they can only continue to move towards higher levels of water quality. So that's a really big deal. And then the other really big deal is the sustenance fishing rights uh, legislation that was championed by the governor and the DEP commissioner, Jerry Reed, working with the four main tribes to establish a new designated use of sustenance fishing within tribal waters, and then has established the most protective level of fish consumption protection in the country within those waters. This is a breakthrough for the tribes. This has been a topic of considerable attention and litigation uh, between the tribes and the state. And to see the bill signed into law with representatives of all the tribes there, the governor of the DEP, the attorney general's office, and the lawmakers that were involved in getting the bill through was just a really nice moment adding to the foundation of protections for Maine's natural resources and and it's wonderful. And I think it's really special too that this law is recognizing the cultural traditions of Maine's four tribes. I mean, from what I understand, the DEP has always treated tribal waters just like any other waters in the state. And through this law, the protections are specifically for these waters. Yes. So it's really, I think, an exciting moment and long overdue. Long overdue. Long overdue. Writ large, you know, we're seeing stronger protections for water quality, expanded access to solar energy, steps to address climate, less, really address big climate, deal. produce less plastic pollution. This is really great. And I think we should be excited about that. Of course, perhaps as in any session, there were some disappointments, and this might be a good time to talk about um, some the elephant of those, in the room. The elephant in the room. <laughs> the elephant in the room is the CMP corridor, and this is a very controversial project, a 145-mile transmission line uh, that would connect Hydro Quebec to Massachusetts, delivering electricity through this transmission line, and 53 miles of it is brand new corridor cut through western Maine forest land in Franklin and Somerset County. All the polling we've seen and some that we have supported shows that Maine people overwhelmingly oppose this project, and they think it's a bad deal for the state. And lawmakers introduced and considered three different bills dealing with the Central Maine Power Corridor project. One by Senator Brownie Carson would require the DEP to commission an, an independent, unbiased study of the climate impacts of the project because it's unclear to us and many people whether this project actually would reduce greenhouse gas emissions as, as, as much as the proponents claim because no study has yet been done that really looks at the whole system And if there's just a shuffling of resources, if Hydro-Quebec just moves power that they're currently selling to to New York over to Massachusetts because they can get more money from it, then it's it's not going to be a net benefit for the climate. That bill passed out of committee, passed the Senate with a really strong vote, and then was... Uh, did not get the two-thirds vote it needed in the House. And then there were two other bills dealing with local control, local uh, protecting local communities' interests that, again, passed out of committee, passed the House and Senate. Those bills were vetoed, and they died when the House couldn't come up with the two-thirds votes needed to override the vetoes. So every single time one of these bills was voted on at the committee level or in the House or Senate, there were bipartisan majorities in support 
of passing these bills, but all three died because they couldn't get to the two-thirds supermajority required. And that's a big disappointment. We think that lawmakers really wanted to be responsive to the concerns they're hearing from Maine people, and they wanted to provide some of the due diligence that Maine people expect for a project of this scale. Big disappointment. It is disappointing, and I think we've made it pretty clear that we have lots of concerns about the power line. And so how do you frame the fact that we disagree with the governor on this issue, but there are all these great things that we've talked about um, that have happened because of her leadership on, on climate and clean energy and water quality? I mean, how do you think about that uh, contradiction? We work with politicians and lawmakers and policymakers who rarely are 100% um, in sync with us. And it's our goal to um, expand the number of areas where we're working together. And in this legislative session, we got a lot accomplished working with a very diverse range of, of legislators. And the governor has strong views on the CMP quarter issue, and we disagree with her on those. But I believe that we were able to also support and help uh, get to her desk many bills that were also important to her. So it's just the way it is in the political process. It's hard to find anyone that is, I mean, we certainly have many allies over there who are with us 100% of the time, but there's also people who are not 100% with you all the time. Sure. So that's um, the, the fact of working in Augusta. It is. And it doesn't mean that it's not hard because Many of our political leaders, we expect them to be leading on issues where we believe we are right. We believe that we're strongly in sync with the people of Maine. And and on the CMP issue, there's just, I've hardly ever seen a, uh, a project as unpopular as this. And I believe that the concerns that Maine people have about this project are legitimate. Sure. We'll move on from this to talk about some unfinished business. Just recently, there was a failure to enact a bond package to appear on the 2019 ballot, which would be pretty rare. That doesn't usually happen. Usually there are bonds before voters. So can you walk us through what happened and what we should expect? Bonds are those measures that are put on the ballot, and the legislature needs to pass those by a two-thirds majority. And then they go out to the ballot, and this is borrowing of funds by the state for certain purposes and research and development and education investments and land for Maine's future and transportation are, you know, the types of things that the state often uh, bonds for. And these are always worked out at the very end of the legislative process. And in the wee hours of the morning, just the day that they adjourned, they could not get agreement on a bond package. They couldn't get to the two-thirds vote. And by they, you mean the House? This is this is in the House, and it's legislative leadership of both parties and the governor really try to work out a deal, and they couldn't get a deal in place. And so they adjourned without reaching agreement on a bond package. My understanding is that they're probably going to, they have until the third week of August to reach an agreement. The governor can call the legislature back in for special session to deal with these issues, and she might also designate some other issues, so lawmakers might also come in. If they convene, they can deal with some other bills too. But the primary purpose of a special session would be to address the bond measures, and we're very strongly supportive of funding for the Land for Maine's Future program, and it would be a travesty if they don't reach agreement on a bond. And I believe that they were very close to passing an LMF bond, but it just kind of fell apart in the last 
you know, jockeying over whether all the pieces would be voted on as a package or whether it would be broken up and some pieces of the package would survive and some pieces would die. So we're going to need to continue to communicate to all of our uh, representatives to support an LMF bond because there will be votes on that measure in the House and Senate, if not in late July, then probably August. And so for the next month, we're going to need everybody to say, go back to Augusta and support a land bond, an LMF bond. And we'd like it to be 45 million over three years or or higher. You know, this is my project area. Let's make a pitch for anyone listening. So legislators, if you're there, people of Maine, LMF is a really great idea, but it hasn't been funded since 2012. This is Maine's most important land conservation project, you know, bar none. Maine people love Land for Maine's Future. It has protected incredibly important parts of this state that contribute to our natural heritage, that are used for recreational purposes, and contribute to sustainable businesses like working waterfronts and farms and uh, sustainable forestry. And if we get it to the ballot, Maine voters will support it. It's almost a sure thing that Maine voters will will provide 60% support or higher. So the trick here is just getting the legislature to agree to a big number and to send it out to voters to vote on this November because we're essentially out of money and we can't move forward with some important land conservation without a new bond. Well, so we've talked about a lot. There's a lot of good, some disappointment and unfinished business, of course, but I guess I would love to hear your perspective generally about this session. What surprised you? What stood out? What are some takeaways? Uh, So let me just reflect here. So there are great lawmakers in this state. Many new legislators this year really stepped up and it was exciting to see so many freshmen just jump right into what is a very demanding and complicated process and contribute a lot to helping get things done. So that's always exciting. We were really pleased to be working so closely with the chairs of the Natural Resources Committee in particular, but also the Energy Committee, to move a lot of bills. Former NRCM Executive Director Brownie Carson is the Senate Chair, and Ralph Tucker, also from the same area, Brunswick, is the House Chair. And the two of them worked really well, and they delivered bipartisan support, many cases unanimous support for all sorts of bills. And that was exciting. It was really nice that so few bills were introduced that were just straight out environmental rollback bills. So we didn't have to waste a lot of our time mobilizing lawmakers and our members to fight against bad ideas. And we've spent so much time doing that over the last eight years that it was just a relief not to have to do any more of that. And on the climate issue, that was not a given at at the front end of the session that we would have so much bipartisan support to put in place uh, the Maine Climate Council. You know, on the plastic pollution issue, we made really significant progress. Two big bills made it across uh, the finish line and signed into law, but those got very few Republican votes. And that was disappointing because I believe that most Mainers recognize that plastic pollution is an issue, that it's not a partisan issue. And ideally, we would pass most bills at the State House in a bipartisan way. And we did that really well on a lot of bills this year. But plastic pollution, I wish we had been able to bring more 
Republicans on board, especially since the Maine Grocers Association and the Maine Retail Association were all in on it, on the single-use plastic bag bill. Right. Well, thank you for sharing those reflections. Is there anything else you want to add? Well, one other thing that I should share is that this legislative session, I mean, a lot of the drama was gone and lawmakers got down to doing their business and there was a breakout of civility. People were treating each other better than we have seen in years and they adjourned on time. That was really quite an achievement after many tumultuous years of, and it's not to say that it wasn't still partisanship and still tense moments, but it was ratcheted down to a more tolerable level. And I think that more lawmakers ended this session with a smile than with a, I gotta get out of here. Uh, (laughs) because they have lost uh, patience with their colleagues. Well, I read that Governor Mills restored a tradition that had been abandoned, I think, for part of the LePage administration, where she, the last day of the session, she actually thanked legislators for the work that they do, and I think reminded them, you do what you do for the people of Maine. And reading that was really heartening. Absolutely. She was a legislator. She cares about the legislative process. She understands it. And she has a very hands-on role in it. And that makes everything work better when the chief executive is working with lawmakers to keep the process moving. So I'd say the 129th legislative session, it's a wrap. wrap. There was a lot to talk about. (laughs) Yeah, and we got all smiles on our faces too because it was a big win for Maine's environment. Thank you, Pete. And of course, thank you to Governor Mills and Maine's legislators for all of your work during this legislative session. On behalf of NRCM, I'll also extend a sincere thank you to all of our members and supporters for your engagement and involvement in this legislative session. I've seen myself that a lot of good work happens at the State House when people get involved, reach out to their legislators, and, and participate. So it's fair to say that many of the legislative victories this session are tied to citizens who weighed in and, and cared. So thank you again. As you heard from Pete, NRCM followed hundreds of bills this session. You can visit our legislative bill tracking page to learn more at www.nrcm.org. As always, thanks for listening.